Hey there, Downpour family. It is always a treat to bring the Word of God. And can I say, I don't take for granted every opportunity that I get to preach God's Word. And I remember even as a young boy sharing my first message to like a bunch of people and today to see what God is doing. And can I just say, I have constantly wanted to maintain the same enthusiasm and I've said to God, Every week as I bring the word, let me never get used to your word because I know, God, when your word is being spoken, lives are being changed. And I want to thank every one of you that's been sharing with your Zoom leaders, with your pastors, what God has been doing. Because can I say, it is what adds fuel to the fire that God is definitely birthing here at Downpour. Now, we've been in the middle of a series uh, called Comparison. In fact, we've been calling it the death, death by comparison, and, and it's been a powerful, powerful message that I shared last week. Uh, and we began to study from the scripture that when we compare, we actually go into this dangerous space. And we understand from last week, we understood that comparison is not just a thing that began in the 21st century. I think the 21st century, if anything, has, uh, you know, uh, magnified and, and, and amplified the whole comparison game. But comparison has been there from the beginning of time. In fact, we went to the Garden of Eden where we saw that man was first compared to God. And we had this powerful message last week called uh, the measurements that we make, the different measurements and how we causing murders in our own lives as we measure ourselves with these all these different things that are happening. In fact, I want to repeat the main central message or the main central verse that we used, which was actually from the Ten Commandments. And this is what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 21. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. And in fact, we said the premise last week that a lot of times, as I was growing up, when I was growing up in a home, I never compared my home until I got a home of my own. And so this message is so relevant. And when, when God is saying, do not covet your neighbor's wife, we always use, look at it as an ungodly thing. But it could be your neighbor's lifestyle, your neighbor's relationship, your neighbor's marriage, your neighbor's parenting, and drives it a bit deeper. And in fact, we define that covetousness is, in the, is the potting soil for comparison. I think the word comparison is something we know, but the word covetousness in that whole dimension is in which comparison is potted on. And I want to show you some scriptures of what the Bible has to say about comparing. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, it says, For we do not dare class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measure themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the, the limits of the spear which God appointed us, a spear which especially includes you. What a powerful scripture. It's literally saying that each of us has been given a realm of influence, a spear of influence, a spear of gifting. We've been entrusted with something, but when we start measuring, it gets dangerous. The Bible makes it very clear that it is extremely unwise to compare. And, and one of the things that uh, I, I've studied as I've, as I've studied scripture that I've come to realize is that some of the standards that I have, we all have standards as, as human beings, but some of the standards that I have are different to the standards that God has. So, for example, uh, you know, if I were to say murder, uh, that would be like, that's bad. If I would say cheating, that's, that's bad. If I say stealing, that's not good. 
Uh, you know, in fact, when, when we were studying on rest, you know, we could see that God has a high standard for rest and he put it in that category. But when I look at comparing, I look at comparing as this little sign. So it's I almost treat it like if I'm driving down the road and people say, hey, there's a false sign there that says turn left, but don't listen to that. And, you know, you're driving past and you see the sign and you're like, ah, oh, that's a false sign. I found you, you know. And we sort of categorize comparison as that. We don't see comparison as this dirty ditch. We don't compare, see comparison as this broken bridge. But I want to share to you a scripture this morning and you're going to be amazed because God is sharing a category of sin or sinful behaviors and check out what it says first corinthians chapter 5 verse 11 but now i have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother now before we read any further the context of this is paul is actually writing to the corinthian church and he's saying uh i'm not telling you not to be friendly with people that are living in sin people that are have sin in their life because he said that's the whole world but he's saying you notice he says anyone named a brother what that means he means a christian brother a christian sister so he's saying i don't want you to keep company with anyone that called themselves a christian then check out what it says who is sexually immoral or an idolater we're like yeah that's bad sexually immoral and christian that's bad or an idolater or a reviler anybody that's owned that owns a revolver you know that's bad <laughs> that's all what it means or a drunkard or an extortioner, I mean extortioner, we hear that word, extortioner, New York, stock market, extortioner, or who is covetous. Wow. Right in the middle of that, we've got anybody's immoral, anybody's idolater, anybody who's a drunkard, anybody who's an extortioner, or anyone who's covetous, and then it says, not even to eat with such a person. That's not just one of my friends. That's not that un unsaved friend that, 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 that God is saying, I don't want you to have Carl Jr. chicken fillet with that guy who compares his life with everybody else. That's literally what the Bible is saying. Because I think God sees there's a whole thing that happens in our soul when, when we hang around, when you hang around people that are covetous, that are always talking about other people's homes and other people's car and talking about this app there and this new phone there, they instill in you without you knowing subconsciously an appetite for the wrong thing. And last week we looked at the, we looked at the life of Adam and how he struggled with comparison. This week we're actually going to look at the life of Jesus and how he was sort of tempted to a place of comparison. And, and, and the address of this text is in John chapter 7. But before we enter John chapter 7, I always like to build a framework. And the framework of that is in John chapter 6. <clears throat> so in John chapter 6, it begins beautiful. You know what Jesus does? He multiplies food. 5,000. He feeds the 5,000. How many of you think that would make a fantastic story on Instagram? Mm -hmm. I reckon that could go on IGTV. Few verses, the same chapter. Wait for it. A few verses. The next post is he walks on water. Then Jesus starts to teach and then he starts teaching about his body and he starts teaching about his blood and people are like, man, I like the bread and I came for the starters and I like the, the breads they serve and the sizzlers joint that Jesus runs. But when he starts talking about his blood and when he starts talking about his body, I'm out of here. So actually John chapter 6 actually ends on a sad note. It actually says some of his disciples left him and they followed him no longer. 
So John 6 begins on a high tide, but John 6 ends on a low tide. So that's the framework I want you to have. So I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about your relationship. If you're in ministry, I want you to think about your ministry. I want you to think about your platform. You're having this high tide. Um, Everybody likes me. 5,000 followers gained in one day because of feeding them. And all of a sudden, people are starting to unfollow me. People are starting to not like me. And check out what it says in John chapter 7. The next chapter. After this, Jesus went around to Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother said to him, leave Galilee and go on to Judea. Now, so the whole thing is, obviously, Jesus has lost a few followers. So the brothers have come together and said, we need to do some sort of a publicity stunt. And the best place for that to happen is, 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 is Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus, Coachella is happening. We need you to go there and make an appearance. You turned, you know, you, you, you fed the 5,000 on a mountaintop. We are bringing to an audience of 20,000 people. Jesus, go there. That's literally what's happening. Can you just think about this? So his disciples say that then he says, leave Galilee and check out what it says. Go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. Footnote, where do you think the disciples that left Jesus were? They were there. Your disciples that deserted you, your disciples that unfollowed you, your disciples who who you like so much. Go there, go check it out. Just hang out. Do a few miracles, you know. Have a few wine tasting competitions. Just, just change some water. Check this, drink this. You know, have a few of those moments and, and see what happens. And it says in verse 4, no one who wants to become a public no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. I mean, talk about Instagram. Everybody wants to be a public figure. Nobody who wants to be a public figure. I have people that have got 54 followers and they're public figures. Go figure. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. That's the spirit of comparison. I mean, this is preaching itself silly this morning. Show yourself to the world. And then they're saying, you've lost a bit of following. You're a public figure. Why are you hiding? There's a festival. Go out there, Jesus. Present yourself. But then it says, verse 5, it says, for even his brothers did not believe him. Verse 6, therefore Jesus told them, and check out Jesus' response, with all the pressure, with all the unfollows that he's having, with all the, all the people that he's losing. I love Jesus' words. He says, my time is not yet here, for you any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. I love Jesus' spirit. I mean, this scripture is so pregnant. And I want to give us two words. And I want, I want you to say this after me this morning. Contentment and contention. If you're watching, I want you to say this after me. Contentment and contention. I want you to notice the contentment that Jesus carried. Contention is when think, two things are clashing. Contention is when things are in competition. But I want you to notice that Jesus was so content. He was so content in who he was. He was just like, you go because you don't have an understanding of time. But my time has not yet come. My ways are not your ways. I'm comfortable in my own skin. And I want to share about every time you're compared, you're going to make a choice between contention and contentment. 
And each time you choose contentment over contention, there's something that happens. And each time you choose contention over contentment, something that happens. All right, here's my first thought. When Jesus chose contentment, he had chosen clarity. See, when you choose not to be compared, when you choose not to be a, just a public figure to get people's approval, you're choosing clarity. What was he saying? He was saying, my time has not changed. In other words, he had clarity about his time. Jesus knew what to do when. It's funny when I find people that have just started to learn an instrument and they want to post it. They've learned one note, one chord, the, the guitar's out of tune and they want to post it and they want 5,000 likes. And there's a time to post and there's a time not to post. There's a time to share, there's a time not to share. There's a time to upload, there's a time to not upload. And, and I love Jesus' clarity. He just had a clarity of his time. See, if Jesus had cho chosen contention, if Jesus had ch chosen to follow what his followers were saying, he would have chosen chaos. Content contentment produces clarity, but contention produces chaos. You need to go, Jesus. You need to go. No one, no one knows. You gotta but Jesus was saying, you're not aware of my timeline. I know my timeline. I know what, what I need to do. I know when I need to do it. I'm comfortable in my skin. In fact, if Jesus had chosen to go in the manner the disciples and his brothers had asked him to go, he probably would have been murdered. And he would have actually aborted God's timeline for his entryway to the cross. Are you with me? When you choose chaos over clarity because you've chosen contention over over, over contentment, it leads to all sorts of chaos. And so I want to encourage us, here's the first thing that happens. The second thing, we're talking about contentment and contention. The second thing that happens when you choose contention, contentment is, I have a posture of confidence as opposed to a posture of feeling inferior or superior. Anytime you choose to compare, anytime you choose to be that public approval figure, person, whatever it is, you are, you're choosing the emotion of inferiority or the, or the emotion of superiority. The reason why a lot of times we compare is because either we are already insecure and we want to make ourselves feel more inferior, or the reason why we compare is because we want to just send, get a whiff of superiority. Oh, well, I'm not that bad. You know, let's be honest, like we've all done it, I've done it, I'm not that bad. And I've done, I think the biggest area I've done that is maybe leading our church, leading our ministry. Oh, we're doing good. That church, they're doing that. Oh, this is what we're doing. And, and, and sometimes it can be just little comments, but I've just seen that. And, and, and we, need to be we need to be very careful because there might be that person that we might be comparing ourselves to. And, 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 and the struggle with that is what happens is when they get promoted or when they, something nice happens for them, we struggle to rejoice. In fact, I'm going to be really honest when something bad happens to them, we feel a bit okay about, oh, they, they, they needed that. There's a bit of pride there, you know. Uh, you know. God has a way of humbling people. We make it all religious and pious, but there's a little mini celebration that happens in our heart, and it can actually be quite dangerous. But I love Jesus' confidence. He had a confidence. I'm not going to abide by what you say. I'm not going to abide by what you demand. There's a confidence you have, and this is what you've got to understand that your parenting, your marriage, your ministry is not superior or inferior. It's unique. And it's got a unique timeline. It's got a unique pathway. It's got a unique vision and a mission and a unique core. And stay committed to that core. 
We're talking about contentment versus contention. When I'm focused on contentment, when I'm focused on being content, I'm focused on my purpose. As opposed to when I'm focusing on contention, I'm focused on performance. See, what the brothers were saying was they were saying, Jesus, you need to go back to the festival. We need you to perform some miracles. But I'm going to show you one little detail about performance, the spirit of performance that we overlook. I read the scripture the other day and I'd never read it the way I read it. I want us to read it again. John chapter 7. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because of the Jewish leaders that were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festivals of tabernacles was near, now check these words, Jesus' brothers said to him. Who said to him? His brothers. Not his disciples, his brothers. Leave Galilee, go to Judea, so that your... So his brothers are saying, do this so that your disciples may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret, for since you're doing these things, show yourself to the... Now, verse 5 is what I want to zoom in on. It says, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. His own brothers that were pushing him to perform did not believe him in the first place. Side note, sometimes the greatest and the closest demand we can get is from our family to perform. The demand to perform sometimes comes the most from our family, from people. But the thing is, sometimes they don't believe in us and they still push us to perform. And if we're not careful in our attempt to make people believe us, we will be tempted to perform. I need you to perform. I need to perform. And what, what happens, and here's the thing that happens, we see and we know, especially if you're in a marriage, if you're in a relationship, if you're a parent, if you're a mom, if you're, we see someone do something, we see a story somewhere, and then we are compelled to perform and do the same thing. And, and, and I won't point fingers or maybe it's someone watching, but I know this for a fact. Sometimes I've entertained and committed to a certain performance only to not even feel good about it. You don't even feel good. In fact, it relinquishes every feeling of my uniqueness, of my purpose, of my calling in the pressure to perform. And, and all of a sudden, you have the pressure to be that good mom. You have the pressure to be that good husband. You have that pressure to be that good girlfriend, that good wife, that good boyfriend, that good child, that good Christian, that pressure to be a good leader. And, and, and let's not kid ourselves because what happens is, and here's the funny part, when we find ourselves constantly performing, we're performing for people that don't even believe in us. And the thing is, they don't even see our performance because they're busy performing for somebody else. Yeah. And, and, and it's just a domino effect. And I love Jesus' heart because he says, now is my time. Now, the closest story I have to this is, you know, 2019, 2018, end of 2018, I had a dream. And, and I had the same dream three nights in a row about planting a church in another city. And uh, we felt the city of Dubai, we sold Middle East really on our hearts. And I don't want to get into the details of everything due to lack of time. And I went by faith. And in fact, last year we did four trips to Dubai. And there was a whole relationship and a whole scenario that came that we thought was a God thing, was attractive. But the more we started walking down that road, the more roadblocks, the more challenges, the more hindrances, things that we couldn't figure out, things that other parties involved couldn't figure out. And can I just say, it went from a moment of purpose and at some point, the pendulum went from God's purpose 
to now we need to perform to make this happen. We need to perform. There were red tapes everywhere. There were restrictions everywhere. I'm just like, God, and, and, and I fought with God because it was like, God, this is not my kingdom. This is your kingdom. This is not my vision. This is your vision. It was so confusing. And literally, we had to die to the performance. We had to, we had to let the people involved in the process say, Elvis has left the building and we are walking out too. And, and, and the curtains need to close. And can I just say, in the last couple of months, and, and I know Dubai Church, you know, Church on Zoom in the Middle East, you're watching, in the last couple of months, we've had a generic, organic church rise up and i think it's taken the shape and the form and the vision that pastor regan's in the room uh that 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 we saw it to be from day one it took that shape and form and i'm just saying these are still early days but at some point we shifted from purpose to performance and we had to make choice make the choice to pull back to purpose and that was painful but can i just say right now to those of us that are watching us from the Middle East, I just feel like a vision, vision, vision embryo grooving up in me. I want you to know that you are the pioneers that's going to do a great work in that church, in that city, in the days to come. And when this whole COVID thing's over, we're going to look and pray and seek and fast and see what God has. But I believe God's going to do something explosive in the Middle East. And But the challenge is, isn't that crazy how God can take even the enemy? The enemy does not take bad things and throws at us. He takes good things, God things. God purposes and causes us to perform. Our marriage is from God. Our kids are from God. Our relationship is from God. Our ministry is from God. Our careers are from God. Our giftings are from God. And the devil will take purpose. Because all he wants to do is if he cannot take you from your purpose, he will paralyze your purpose through this, through this incredible temptation called performance. And every time we perform, what happens is we are paralyzing and we are relegating our purpose. And if you're watching, I want you to know that God's not called you to perform, but God's called you by purpose. And he's called you on purpose. In fact, the Bible says that the Lord that saved you has now called you. And I want to pray for every person. This series has been a powerful series. And I pray that in your marriage, can I say right now, even, even from a marriage point of view, with COVID-19, it's been hard to have date nights. It's been hard to have date with, even with two kids running around the house. But my marriage, and Leah can witness to this, is the best it's ever been. Because we're not performing. We are on purpose. We are in love on purpose. We are worshiping in purpose. We've got a mission together in purpose. And can I say to every person watching, if you're struggling with something, find your uniqueness and you will find your purpose. Jesus knew his timing. Now is not my time. That is so powerful. Why don't we pray together? Father, I thank you for every person watching. Lord, this has been a complex heart surgery sermon, but I pray God that you would take the nutrients, you would distribute uh, every fragment that has been shared and apply it into people's marriages, people's careers, people's lives, people's situation and context in every way, in every form. Lord, I pray, God, that we will not live for the audience of many, but that we will live for the audience of one. Let Jesus be our model as we put our faith and trust in him. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for watching. I believe God's really ministered to us through this message. And uh, if you're watching this on Church on Zoom, this is going to be available in a couple of days on YouTube, both week one and week two of this series. I want you to tag somebody, share this with somebody, call somebody, text somebody, and let them be on this journey because I believe God has a great plan and purpose for your life. Amen.